This podcast is made possible by OneStream Software and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Greg Frost, CFO of Hartford Funds, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 418. Uh, historically, Transwestern has really grown the most during periods of dislocation. And certainly, 08, 09 was a, a significant period of dislocation in our industry and for most industries. And we knew that in order for us to take advantage of that situation, in order for us to grow as a company, it was going to require capital. Uh, and we had an existing credit facility. Uh, but we knew that we would need more capital in order to grow our companies. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's show, we speak to Steve Harding, CFO of TransWestern. Steve's finance career stretches back 17 years at TransWestern. Along the way, he benefited from a CFO mentor, as well as an economic downturn. According to Steve, both were good teachers. Our interview begins after these words from our sponsor. When it comes to supporting effective decision-making, finance and IT leaders are facing an unprecedented challenge amidst increasing business complexity, exploding data volumes, and market volatility. OneStream software reduces the complexity of financial operations by unleashing the power of finance with a unified platform for planning, financial close and consolidation, reporting, and analytics. OneStream helps finance leaders empower the enterprise with financial and operational insights to support faster and more informed decision-making, all in a platform designed to continually evolve and scale with your organization. To learn more, visit OneStreamSoftware.com. Hello, we're speaking to CFO Steve Harding of TransWestern, the commercial real estate company. Steve, welcome. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. Good to have you with us. As always, we kick things off by asking our guests to look back and ask them to share some of the career experiences they believe best prepared them for a CFO role. What comes to mind? Sure. I'd start by saying my time in public accounting, I did start at uh, KPMG uh, back when I got out of college. And I think, uh, you know, you learned a lot uh, working long hours, working together as a team, uh, the importance of meeting deadlines, client deadlines. Uh, and really, uh, I think really an important lesson back then also was you're really only as good as your as your weakest or only as strong as your weakest link. And so in that case, the staff members on our audit team really had to pull, pull their weight. And I think that was very valuable 
And then when I left public accounting and uh, went to go work for Heinz, which is another private global real estate company based here in Houston, you know, I really think that I learned a lot uh, and had to understand what the entire group was. Even though I was in finance, really on the numbers accounting side, it was really important that you understood uh, engineering and leasing and operations because each of those touched finance. And candidly, I thought uh, at the time that the only way I could understand my job was to understand those roles as well. And so I think really understanding what the entire organization does and each of the function does is really important. And then I guess the other real uh, career milestone for me was when I joined Transwestern and within two years was asked by Larry Hurd, our CEO, and Mark Doran, who was our CFO at the time, he's now our COO, uh, to step into the CF, uh, CFO role here at Transwestern. Uh, and so it was really those two guys that gave me uh, the opportunity uh, to uh, become the CFO at Transwestern. So that's uh, sort of the, the dream. Everyone hopes to have that opportunity to, to get your bearings around the company and, and understand the, the dynamics of the marketplace. What uh, could you tell us about when you arrive in that office as far as the role you wanted to create uh, for yourself or realize? Sure, absolutely. It, it, to me, it was all about being a servant leader uh, and one that people could count on. I really I needed to understand the business uh, when I came to Transwestern. It was, you know, familiar but a little bit different because we were a third-party company. Uh, Heinz was really a primarily an owner company, so I really had to learn the business and learn what our brokers did, what our property managers did, and so I felt like I had to be a servant leader. And to me. That really meant uh, diving in uh, and trying to understand, again, what everybody did. I think uh, I also really wanted to be a part of a leadership team and be a part of a partnership uh, where everybody was giving their best every day uh, and really put the interest of our team members and our clients first. And that, uh, you know, that certainly has been borne out over the 15 years I've been in this position. I've been blessed and fortunate to be in a true partnership with great leaders and then finally, uh, you know, I wanted to be able to uh, give the leaders of our business the information that they needed to manage their business uh, and to profitably grow their business. And so I knew that was my primary role was to be the servant leader to our market leaders, our regional leaders, uh, so to ensure that they had the tools uh, that they needed to be successful and to grow their businesses profitably. Did you, uh, since you're... Uh, I guess your tour of duty as a CFO began there. Have you reorganized finance in some way? Is there some part of the business that has changed where you're maybe aligning things a little differently? Yeah, I would say so. And I think uh, it's probably more recent than when I first started. I think when I first started, it was just leading by example. And I guess maybe a story back then was we implemented a new accounting and finance system along with various other uh, systems that were tied into it. And uh, it was a rough start. Uh, we were not getting out financials on a timely basis to our market leaders, and uh, they didn't have the information that they needed to manage their business. So, uh, you know, I quickly learned that I had to jump in and figure out what was going on. Uh, I was in Dallas at the time. My department was down here in Houston. And so I'd fly, uh, fly in on every mor Monday morning, meet with the team, and uh, try and assess where we were at. And then at night, in order to better understood, understand what the challenges were we were having, I would actually jump in and start posting transactions and running reports and 
really doing the job uh, of what our accounting team was trying to do and through that process trying to uh, improve the process. So you know, I thought that was important. But really in the last, uh, I would say in the last several years, as as the nature of our business has become more complicated, and I'll talk about it in a little bit, uh, really with regard to our family of companies that we've had, uh, I had too many direct reports. I had 15 direct reports. And when I sat back and thought about that and thought about the job I was doing, uh, 15 people uh, in 15 di- almost 15 different functions was just too many. And so uh, we, did, we brought in a chief administrative officer to help with more of the administrative functions. And that uh, really helped me become a, a better CFO, uh, somebody who is much more engaged in, in the family of companies that we have here at Transwestern. When you talked about you actually got into the process, the accounting process, to discover what probably what where some of the snags might have been, did you find that you had to uh, adopt or change a, a piece of technology, or was it uh, more organizational related? Yeah, so it was a brand new technology for the firm, uh, and so we did change our technology, and that really it was that change in technology along with the need to change the processes and to really make the technology work with our processes. Uh, So that was the situation that I stepped into. It was really a brand new technology for our firm, brand new to all of our brokers, all of our property managers, all our accountants. And so it was just that, you know, it's that process change and trying to get people to embrace the new technology. And again, by diving in and doing it yourself and figuring out what's not working, uh, you know, it gave it put me in a better position to work with the IT team and our accounting team uh, to really look at the processes that were broken or the procedures that were broken and fix those immediately so that we can start producing accurate and timely financial statements. Okay, so let's say you're at a uh, a CFO roundtable and your peer beside you turns to you and explains that they're about to take this same leap that you took at that point in time. What advice are you going to offer him? What piece of what what uh, challenge would you perhaps have dressed a little differently? Is there some piece of advice you'd offer? Yeah, I would say, uh, particularly from a technology perspective, I think when you buy a piece of technology, with no due respect to the providers that you have, they generally oversell the product. And so you really need to dig in and make sure that everything that uh, you're seeing in the demo is actually there in the product. Uh, and then I do, I do think it does make sense to really look at all the processes that you're doing. And new technology should lead to new processes. Uh, don't try and recreate the old processes with new technology. That's just, it doesn't work. Uh, you need to utilize the capabilities of the new technology and really use it to change your processes, to make you better, to make you, uh, you know, to make the processes that you're doing and the, and the closing of the books just much more automated and timely. One of the things we hear in regards to technologies as well is that so many uh, CFOs will tell us that they're discovering new pools of data around their companies, uh, things that could be measured. But right now, the technologies aren't there to really help them uh, create the visibility uh, that would allow them to compare different data flows or whatever it might be. I imagine you're you're facing the same challenge. That's right. I, I think everybody, candidly, there's too much data. 
Uh, and it's a matter of trying to harness and mine that data to make good decisions. And so, you know, there are, as you said, a lot of tools out there to mine the data. You can put it in the data warehouses. You can build all sorts of cubes and analysis. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you certainly don't want uh, kind of paralysis through analysis. You really need to utilize that data uh, to make decisions. And, yeah, we struggle with that today. Uh, we have recently implemented a new technology within the last two years in our firm. So we, we were with that old technology for 15 years. And uh, we're still today, uh, a year into it, uh, uh, finding out the amount of available data that is there and then trying to make sense of it to really u utilize that data to better manage our business. And so, yeah, absolutely. That, I think that's a challenge today and will probably be a challenge for uh, the next several years. Let's find out about Transwestern today, the marketplace there, and uh, how does it distinguish itself? What would you share with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Transwestern is a family of companies, as I mentioned earlier. We're a commercial real estate company, uh, and as part of that, we have really three three companies. The first is a full-service commercial real estate firm uh, called Transwestern Commercial Services, it's involved in management, leasing, uh, and investment sales and capital markets activities in 35 markets across the U.S. It has about 2,300 team members today. Uh, it's, it started in 1978. Uh, and then we have two other companies. One is our development company. Uh, and so we started as a development company. Robert Duncan, who founded our uh, firm and is still the chairman today, founded our company in 1978 as a development company in Texas. And today we have a development company that is active in 12 markets. Uh, we develop uh, industrial, multifamily, and a little bit of office in those 12 markets. It's very successful. It probably has 33, almost 40 projects underway and probably representing about $3 billion of of cost in those development projects. And then finally, we have an investment company. Uh, and that investment company uh, invest capital. It has its own. It has separate accounts. It also has funds that it raised, discretionary funds that it has raised to invest in real estate. And today, it has about 4.4 billion of assets under management. Uh, you know, today, uh, commercial real estate is really highly competitive. Uh, we're a national company uh, with kind of global reach, but we we compete against the biggest folks in our industry who are very talented, well-capitalized, and, and good firms. And then we also compete against the local boutique, very nimble firms. And uh, so all of those firms offer something to clients. And so it's a very competitive industry. And at the end of the day, we are a people business. We don't make widgets. Uh, so it's a people business. So it's all about having the best people. And, uh, you know, I think, it, I think we embody that in our purpose statement where we say empowering good people to do extraordinary things together. Uh, and what that means is really empowering our, our people to really do their best work for our clients. And so it is very much a people business. And then finally, as I said, uh, we started as a development company. And I think what makes us different today than some of, the, some of our some other firms that didn't start as a development company is it makes us very entrepreneurial. Uh, we understand what it means to create value uh, for our clients because even today, we're putting our own money in development projects, and so we understand what it means to 
uh, have a vision for a piece of dirt, turn that into a product, uh, lease that product up, and ultimately sell it for hopefully an investment return. Uh, and so I think that's what makes us a little bit different uh, is just that entrepreneurial and kind of our development roots that we had from the very beginning. So let, help us understand sort of your day-to-day. What are the, uh, the key metrics that you look at for your day starts, really? So, uh, sure. Is like uh, three lucky numbers, what would they be? Uh, explain <laughs> it to us. Yeah, sure. So I, it, to me, it's about, uh, it, no surprise, it's NOI and EBITDA is always something you have to look at. I think in our business, it's EBITDA margins are really important. So uh, when I look at the services company, each of those businesses, brokerage, property management, uh, capital markets, they all have different margins uh, because of broker payouts, because of just the way that the contracts are set up. And so I think it's really important to, uh, and it's my focus, to really focus on margins. At the end of the day, we need to be a profitable business. It's great to say you're a growing company, but are you growing profitably? And so it's, it, it is the profit, the EBITDA and EBITDA margins. I think the other thing that we look at and I look at uh, is are we growing with our strategic clients? Uh, Those are the people who, uh, those are the clients that uh, are generally our largest clients. Those are the clients that have been with us uh, the longest period of time. And as the old adage says, the easiest business that you have should be trying to win business with your existing clients. And so we need to stay focused on those tier one clients, uh, those strategic clients. So are we winning business with them? And then I think for the development and investment company, it's AUM. How are we doing relative to the assets under management for those firms? Because uh, that's what pays the bills at the end of the day. And then finally, I think another important, a really important metric for our firm uh, and every firm generally is employee turnover. Are your employees engaged in the business? Uh, and so we look at that number uh, very closely and we pay a lot of attention to it. When we think of the commercial real estate business, we think how closely tied sometimes it is to the economy, the ups and downs of the economy. Is there any portion of this business which is less uh, in sync with the others, uh, the three you've shared with us? Yeah, I think it, 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 that's an interesting question. I would say for so the services company, different aspects of the services company, uh, you know, tenants will always be leasing, whether the economy is doing well or not. They may not need as much space, but there's always leasing activity. There's always buildings that need to be managed. Uh, but development, uh, development in many markets, even today, uh, you shouldn't be developing office in many markets today. There's too much office space here in Houston, Texas. We have too much available office space, and so we should not be developing office. And so uh, the development company is very uh, cyclical relative to the market, the type of product in that market. Market, Are you delivering too much multifamily, by way of example? And it's very interest rate sensitive. Uh, and you know, a great example of that would have been back in 0809. Uh, when there wasn't capital to do development, so its uh, development can shut off uh, like that. So it is very sensitive to what's going on in the greater economy, uh, and particularly with regard to interest rates. Where were you during the downturn then? I, I, I have to believe there were lessons learned no matter where you were in commercial real estate at that point in time. 
Yeah, so uh, I was at Transwestern and uh, oh, at were. the time. Okay. And it, okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, so I started here back in 2000. So I was here, and, uh, you know, it was a very uh, challenging time for our company uh, back in the downturn. Uh, it was, and you just mentioned it, uh, a very part of our business was, as I mentioned earlier on the services side, uh, relates to investment sales and capital markets activity. And if our clients couldn't find debt, which they couldn't find back in 08, 09, uh, that business basically shut down. Uh, we, we went from having a very good year, uh, probably a record year in our firm for capital markets and investment sales activity in 2007 to, uh, you know, somebody shut off the faucet uh, in basically September of 08 and 09. And so uh, it was uh, certainly a lot of lessons learned uh, at, at that point in time dealing with uh, the economy and, and what happened uh, globally. Steve, this is the part of the interview where I get to ask for uh, what we call a finance uh, strategic moment. I'm sure you've had quite a few along the course of your career, but what type of finance strategic moment would you share with us? Yeah, I would share two, and uh, it, it really goes back to the your prior question, and I think it, as I think it, it goes back to 2007. Uh, we were doing strategic planning for our firm back in 2007, and one of our market leaders asked us, uh, "Shouldn't we be thinking about a economic downturn? What should we be doing in anticipation of an economic downturn?" Uh, and so we took that challenge, uh, we took his challenge, and started to pay down debt. And we really started to look at our overhead structure, and we made some tweaks to the overhead structure. Uh, and then obviously with the financial crisis in 2008, we were very well positioned uh, as a result of that challenge by one of our market leaders about what would happen during an economic downturn. Since we had paid down debt, uh, that was a huge thing for us. And since we had restructured some of our operations, uh, and then really coming out of that, really kind of part two or page two of that story would be uh, coming out of the downturn. Historically, Transwestern has really grown the most during periods of dislocation. And certainly, 08, 09 was a, a significant period of dislocation in our industry and for most industries. And we knew that in order for us to take advantage of that situation, in order for us to grow as a company, it was going to require capital. Uh, and we had an existing credit facility, uh, but we knew that we would need more capital in order to grow our company. So we engaged EY's Capital Advisory Group to help us conduct a process to find a, a upsized letter of credit facility. And it was very timely because we used that facility uh, to get back into New York and New Jersey or to get into New York and New Jersey. We also used it to enter Boston. Uh, and we also used it to launch the other two companies, the development and investment company. We used uh, that upsized facility to start those two businesses coming out of the Great Recession. So we would not have uh, the development and investment company in its current state today had we not had those had we not had the upsized credit facility. Interesting. So seizing the moment at a, at a, at a time when many uh, many companies were likely uh, catching their breath from uh, such a disruptive uh, 
period. When we come back, we're going to be entering the mentoring round with Steve Harding. After these words from our sponsor. When we come back, CFO Steve Harding is going to be entering the mentoring round with us right after these words from our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly as the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases You need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We now want to enter our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to uh, offer advice to future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Yeah, I think it's just the pace of change. Uh, It is amazing the pace of change uh, in the world and then uh, certainly in our commercial real estate space. And I think in the commercial real estate space, the best example uh, that's impacting us today is Amazon and, and Walmart and the impact of the just-in-time economy. Uh, that has a significant impact on our industrial development efforts and how we deliver product. So that pace of change is just amazing about how quickly it's changing. And then I guess the second thing I would add would be uh, the impact of millennials and the Gen Zs or the iGen and what they're having on the work uh, on the workplace. And I think, uh, you know, it's not a matter of harnessing them. That's not what we want to do. We really want to take their passion and skills, uh, keep them motivated, and then much more importantly, provide them a forum uh, to, do, uh, to bring forth their really good ideas because uh, they really do have good ideas and they're challenging uh, those of us that have been in the industry for a long time uh, with new things and new ideas, and that, that's really fun. Is there something you wish someone had told you before you stepped into the CFO role for the first time? Just one one more piece of advice you would have given yourself as you started down uh, the corridor? Hire really, hire really good people and then delegate. Uh, you can't do everything yourself. Uh, I am Maybe it's just the way I was raised by my parents. Uh, they challenged me to, uh, with a very strong work ethic. Uh, and so I think uh, what I've had to learn is hire good people and empower them. Uh, let them uh, let them do what they're good at, uh, because I can't do it all. Uh, and so uh, I wish I would have learned that much earlier in my career, perhaps. When we look back at your your career ladder, you invested seven years uh, at Heinz, and and including uh, the role at another company before that. You did not change jobs quite often, um, and. I always ask this when I see a resume like yours. There must have been other opportunities that were available to you, recruiters who came by 
and yet you stayed as long as you did. In this day and age, that's a, that's a long tenure. Um, and my question is simply this, is that why did you stay? And, and, and we're trying to understand your decision-making when you changed jobs. And it, it seems like you did it rather thoughtfully. What would you uh, share with us? Yeah, yeah no, thank you. Uh, and so I have been at Transwestern 18 years, and you're right. Uh, you always get calls from headhunters, uh, and, I, uh, and I don't generally take those calls. Uh, and the reason for that is, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, I wanted to be in an environment where uh, I had partners, uh, people who I could rely on, people who, again, were giving their best every day and have the best interest of our team members and our clients first above all, all else. And I have to say that I have been blessed and fortunate that uh, – you know, we have our chairman, Robert Duncan, is still active in the business today, a wonderful man and a great thought leader. Larry Hurd, our CEO, uh, is just an incredible individual, a great leader. And Mark Doran, our COO, and Chip Clark. So I've been blessed to be around really good partners, and I think that partnership is what has kept me here. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, that, that's why I am here today. And you know why I plan to retire here at Transwestern. Can you, can I can I I'm gonna I'm gonna push you a little on this one because 20 years ago you or, or 22 years ago you were in that Transwestern and the the future wasn't as clear. And for those people who are coming up through the ranks today, it seems like you made the right choices when you when you made them. Do Do you recall what was some of the things you were weighing way back then? What were the things you were thinking of when you changed jobs? Why didn't you stay? And, and it was because a bigger opportunity came along. But reveal to us some of the things that maybe there was a time a recruiter came to you with another opportunity, not while you were at Transwestern, but earlier, and you said, no, not for me. What was it that was missing? Yeah, I think what was missing uh, was the leadership of those firms. Uh, when I when I listened to those headhunters 25 years ago, uh, you know, the job sounded interesting. The pay might be interesting. But when you got in there, uh, could you see yourself working for that individual? Could you, uh, you know, what is their, really, what are their guiding principles of that firm and of the leadership team? And I just didn't find the right match a lot of times. I did at Heinz. Uh, Heinz was a great organization, is a great organization today, uh, and they have great leaders. And so I, I think uh, when I listened to those opportunities, went on those interviews, uh, really I listened to my heart and looked at, uh, looked at their values and their guiding principles and did they match mine. Uh, and that I believe that the people who I was interviewing with uh, really shared those and really were living them. And that, uh, that, that if they gave me the opportunity, uh, the people who were going to be reporting to me, did they feel like they had the right work ethic, the right uh, values? And so uh, that's why I turned, them, turned down those opportunities many, many years ago. Do you have a personal habit that you believe has in some way contributed to your professional success? Uh, I got to tell you, I think it's something I learned from my mom and dad. I may have mentioned it earlier, and that's just hard work, uh, a really strong work ethic, and uh, perhaps a little corny, but living the golden rule. Uh, I I don't ask other people to do something that I wouldn't do, and so I don't ask my team to work 18-hour days if I'm not prepared to work 18-hour days. 
and so I really do believe, and when we have uh, when we have interns come through our firm, I, I kind of have a list of 15 things, and I uh, 15 points that I like to make, and I always uh, end with live the golden rule. Uh, really. Uh, don't ask anybody else to do what you wouldn't do yourself, and that has served me well throughout my uh, throughout my 35-year career. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Yeah, I think there's several, but the one that sticks out to me uh, is a book called Right Away and All at Once by Greg Brenneman. Uh, Greg is uh, lives here in the Houston, greater Houston area. Greg. Uh, is was actually the CEO that was brought in to turn around at a very young age, turn around Continental Airlines, uh, Home Depot, and Burger King. Uh, in his book, right away and all at once, kind of an interesting title. Uh, you know, it, what I love about it is it's a nice balance between uh, how you live your life personally and how you live uh, your life professionally and how you run a company. And uh, you know, Greg has really five simple steps. Uh, that he applies to both his personal life and to the businesses that he has turned around and, and has run successfully. And uh, I, just found, I just found that book, and I really liked how he, he melded the, both the personal side and how he ran his personal life along with his business or professional life. Okay, we're up to our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Yeah, I think we're going to continue to focus on uh, some of those metrics we talked about earlier, so profitability of our businesses. Uh, I think really trying to leverage the power of our uh, of our company uh, and the family of companies and making sure that our services development and investment company are working as an integrated unit and really uh, taking advantages of the opportunities that are out there today in the market. I think the other thing that we'll have to be mindful of, and you and I touched on it earlier, is the impact of rising interest rates. We know that interest rates are going to go up, uh, and having capital for real estate and commercial real estate in particular is really important. And what's going to be the impact of rising interest rates? Uh, so that's just something we're going to have to continue to monitor and be uh, keenly aware of. And then finally, just continue to focus on our people and our clients uh, and make sure that we're hiring the right people and empowering them to do extraordinary things together for our clients and that we're really delivering that value that we talked about earlier. Steve Harding, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. I really enjoyed it. Thought Leader listeners, whether you've already ascended into the ranks of finance leaders or have only just begun the journey, your professional narrative needs a reboot. Join our email list at cfothoughtleader.com and receive my latest email series, Finance and the Power of Narrative. It's time to mobilize the past to achieve your goals. Thank you for listening.